Welcome, everyone, to a long overdue version of the Gwentelligence Podcast. I am David Marver of Change the Padres, joined, as always, by Padres Jagoff. Yeah, we're back. And uh, this is, I believe this is our first bi-coastal podcast. Uh, it is. Those you know, that aren't, aren't in the know, the city of San Diego has successfully ejected David Marver out of, out of the state, actually. Yeah, you know, I got an offer for a job, for those of you who don't know, uh, in Delaware, of all places, and I accepted, and I've been here about six months now. Uh, I'm already sick of them talking about the Eagles on the radio. I have been streaming 1090 uh, at work. The, the only problem with that is that the hours of the shows are off by three hours, and everything's all screwed up. But, um, yeah, survived my I've first actually argued that it's, it's better on the East Coast, the hours, because – uh, for instance, uh, I mean, obviously you're not streaming Dan Cilio, but uh, let's take Dave and Jeff. It's like 10 a.m. when they come on. Um, it's kind of nice. It takes you through your, your, your mid-afternoon, and then you can pretty much ignore uh, Kaplan and, uh, and Billy Ray. I'll say this. I, I really do like the, uh, the NFL schedule here. I do like the fact that the game's pretty much – first of all, you can sleep in and miss nothing, and you wake up and the games just go all day long. But unfortunately, the football season's over. It remains to be seen what it's going to be like when the Padres start playing games, right? Because those are going to start at like 10.30 p.m. here. There's no way I'm going to catch half of their home games. So Yeah, it's rough. I used to just set up an iPad next to my bed on the nightstand, and maybe I would catch first through third inning, and then, then, then you'd log on in the morning and kind of see what you missed. The cool thing is I've already, I've already scoped the schedule here on the East Coast, and they actually – they'll come to Baltimore. So for those of you not in the know, uh, the area I'm living in in Delaware, North Delaware, is pretty much right in between Baltimore and Philly. So I'm going to catch a handful of games live this year because the Padres come to Baltimore. They obviously come to Philly a couple times. They'll also – I'll probably go see um, the Mets and uh, Padres at some point in time too. So – I won't, I won't be missing them completely, especially when you compare it to, you know, two years ago when I went to the Zero games. But um, it's going to be an interesting year. And the, on the plus side, by the way, in Delaware, I've discovered that you actually get on your basic cable, I will get Phillies games. I will get Orioles games. I will also get the Mets, I believe. And one other team, I think the Nationals. I think you get four on the basic cable there, which is pretty killer. That's very thrilling for you. Yes, it's going to be great. Um, anyways, a lot has happened on to, uh, to the Padres roster since the last time we talked. Um, been an interesting offseason. Obviously a lot less interesting than last year, but still somewhat interesting. Uh, where do you want to start? Um, I don't know. You know, I was trying to recall who on the podcast last year, literally, you know, nine months ago, was basically uh, predicting this exact scenario happening. Was it? Was it you? That, I, that I was not me. I'm going to open a beer here uh, to admit this one, but that was definitely you. Uh, strangely enough, you were the optimistic one. Uh, you know, I was doing the doom and gloom scenarios on the budget, the uh, finances of the team, the uh, uh, the future contract obligations, and uh, it, it looks like all of that is, is has come to fruition. I, I will agree I was a little bit optimistic last year, but it, it's hard to find someone who wasn't, like at least buying that they were going to be able to compete. I, I will say that I consistently said the Dodgers were still the favorites. Um, however, I will say that this kind of justifies something I had been saying for years and years. The Padres can't just expect to build a winner overnight. And when, when I say that, I mean, you can't just expect to build a winner in one offseason, right? Like 
you're restricting yourself to only the bargains and only the types of players available that one off season. And when they do that, you end up having to trade for Matt camp. You end up having, uh, you, you know, you basically leave yourself with no flexibility on the types of players you can add and you leave yourself with giant holes in the roster. And, you know, unfortunately they hadn't been building up the roster consistently over a few years. Cause I think, you know, had they been doing that, had they been picking and choosing correctly, the years leading up to last year and they were willing to put up that payroll, I think they could have put together a much better product than the one they tried to get put together so hastily. Well, I, I've said this many times and it's why I usually disagree with the, the national media uh, just taking a dump on AJ Preller. But I, I don't know if, if you, if you believe the assumption, which I do that uh, ownership and Mike D basically forced the issue uh, during the GM hiring, that whoever they hire will turn the team around in one year. I don't think anyone could have executed the plan better than AJ Preller did. Not yeah, to I mean, say that it worked well because it didn't, but it was an impossible task. And I, I just can't think of another scenario that would have worked better short of raising payroll, a hundred million dollars. I will say this. I think that you're right in the sense that while last year didn't work out, there still was a possibility that it would have, right? There, there was that probability that, um, you know, it might have been a low probability, but there was still a probability that things came together and they played well. It just wasn't likely. But in years past, under Burns and, uh, you know, before that, some of the Hoyer years where they were just so thin in the roster, there was almost no scenario you could even conjure up in a million years that had the Potters going deep in the postseason. So well, and on, on uh, I will give them credit for out there with a prayer, right? Like this year, I think you and I, and we'll get to this later, I think you and I are on the in agreement that they just don't even have a prayer this year. Um, but, at, you know, at least last year there was a conceivable way that it could have happened. And I credit them for that. It doesn't mean that I absolve them of everything else going forward or anything else in the past, but I give them credit for last year, even though it didn't work out. Well, and we've said on the podcast that having a competitive team and raising attendance has a material effect on the team, which, which I wrote about a month ago that, um, you know, based off the attendance figures, it's somewhere – you know, $13, $15 million in additional uh, revenue, that being ticket revenue, which is almost pure profit for the team. And I think, you know, given a competent team leadership, that, that folding that money back into payroll is a material improvement to the team, which, you know, we're not really seeing this offseason, but that's that's an entirely other other issue. Um, as far as the prospects for the, this, this season, I mean, they're not good. Uh, I don't know if you looked in the draft folders of, on the blog, but uh, – It'll be out at the time this this podcast gets posted, but I, I sat down and thought of the scenario that would lead to the team actually making the playoffs. Um, and basically, I, I guess it's possible, but it requires like twelve different things to go right. And if one of those things doesn't go right, then 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 it's done. It's over. And, and it's relying pretty. You know, it's the same thing we're used to that. You know, we need uh, Andrew Kashner to pitch twice as well as he did last year. We need uh, Will Myers to break out and become a four to five war player. Uh, there's just a whole line of things. Alexei Ramirez needs to return to being a three war shortstop. You know, and and you knock out one of those, and, and the entire the entire building collapses. So it's unlikely, extremely unlikely. But I decided to be optimistic about things for for a, for a short time. 
I guess I, I think you're probably more optimistic on that than I am because I honestly can't come up with a way that they make it. Like, even if Will Myers has a breakout year, let's say he hits 30 home runs at first base or whatever, and let's just be clear, his zips currently projected for 15. So that's, you know, twice as much as he's projected before. Let's say Austin Hedges has a good year at catcher. He and Norris, you know, combined for a great tandem there. Alexi Ramirez has some sort of bounce back. Um, you know, hey, real quick, what else? Quick, tri- yeah. quick trivia question. Who did Zips project as the team leader in home runs next year? Um, I think it is it the Rule Five guy, Jabari yes. Blash. Jabari Blash. Nice. nice, but okay. So here's the thing with Zips, just to so make people that are listening understand, Zips assumes full playing time for all players, pretty much. No, it does not. It, it, it takes into account projected number of at bats. So it actually projects Jabari Blash to be the team leader in home runs in only 440 at bats next year. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure that it does not take in projected at bats, right? So that's it's. I mean, for example, if you just go look at the Padres zips right now, I'm sure they are projecting like whatever 500 plate appearances for Hunter Renfro, even though there's no chance you'd get it. They assume that. No, 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 no. It, 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 it takes that into starting. account. No, it doesn't. If you go take Hunter Renfro's, I, I guarantee if you go to take in zips because this is the way they've always done zips, that it'll project like 500 plate appearances for Hunter Renfro. Hold on. I have it open right now. Hunter Renfro. Well, Hunter Renfro. Uh, here, he's – oh, you're right. He, Hunter Renfro specifically is projected for 571. Yeah, so what they do for Zips is they just assume if this guy got, was given the starting position, how many plate appearances would they, would they get? And it's it's not – so, you know, Jabari Blash, what is he going to get, 150 plate appearances maybe? God, I hope not. Uh, Jabari Blash is the only thing we have to look forward to next year. Yeah, there's really not much. I, I did not understand cutting Ryan Rolirio, by the way. Like, that just didn't make any sense to me. Um, well, what are you going to do? He, just, at the point that you, you're forced to give John Jay a, a starting spot or a roster spot, like, you know, what what can you do? There's, there's not that much to I, – I don't know. He wasn't really going to play. And honestly, I'd rather see Jabari Blash at this point. All right, before we start talking about the, the current roster, let's talk about how we got here. Um so the first big news of the offseason was trading Craig Kimbrell. The Padres brought back a handful of prospects in the deal. The main one is uh, Manuel Margot, center field prospect, 21 years old in AA. Um, he's a solid top 50 prospect in baseball, and depending on the outlet you look at, you might see him peak into the 20s. I think Baseball America had him maybe in the low 40s, I believe. Um, what did you think about that deal? Did you think the Padres got enough for Kimbrell? Yeah, I mean – yeah, it was a good it was a good haul. Uh, AJ deserves all the the praise that he got for it. I do think some people are kind of inflating what Man, Manny Margot is going to turn into. Um, I mean, looking at him, he's I mean, I don't know if you agree. Best case, he's like a I don't know the best years of, of Brett Gardner, Austin Jackson maybe. Like he's not a he's not going to hit thirty home runs. He's not going to be like Darren Jackson in the in the early nineties. He's going to be a good fielder that might hit 10 home runs, which is fine. You know, Mike Cameron was basically that for us, and he was he was great. Um, Guerra seems great, but people are getting awfully excited for uh, a shortstop that hasn't gotten out of high A at this point. Uh, so, I, obviously, I'm high on him. I'm excited for him, but uh, I've totally disagreed with the premise that we should just not sign a shortstop because we're just going to – you know, we're just going to put Guerra in there in two years. Like, like it's that easy.
I'll say this. When the trade first happened, I wasn't super thrilled about it. I, well, okay. I'll take the back a second. I thought they got a decent haul for him. I don't think it was like an unfair trade. I don't think there was like a huge winner in it. I, I just take issue with trading for players that whose ceilings aren't necessarily super high. Like I don't think Manny Margot can become the next Andrew McCutcheon, for example. I don't think Javier Guerra is going to turn into a four-war shortstop. I think they both have reasonable ceilings to be starting players. But when you're trading away literally one of the best players at his position in a long time, and I know relief pitcher is probably the worst position to have the best one at, I, I still think you need to be pulling back at least a top 25 prospect guaranteed. And I don't know if they got that in this trade. But that said, you know, the Potters weren't going to compete this year. And it's one of those things where you look at the list of high-impact relief pitchers over history, and a lot of them do drop off a cliff. And I'm not necessarily against getting something out of uh, someone while you can, especially when you're not going to compete. Now, um, that does lead me into the next trade, which I just don't understand at all, which was trading Jed Jericho for John Jay. You and I might see this one differently, but I just don't see any upside with John Jay. He has this only this year left. He's not necessarily even a great player. I mean, you're better off using him in a platoon. You already have kind of a glut in the outfield to begin with. You had Jankowski and uh, Melvin Upton um, already out there that can play center field. Plus, by doing it, you had to cut Ryan Liriano. Plus, if you're just looking at it, I, I know people will say you want the Jed Jerko money somewhere else. But – Three years from now, if Jed Jericho has anything remotely close to a decent bounce back in production, he's going to be an incredible bargain. And he has upside. And this is one of those things where the Padres are selling low on a player who just two years ago was one of their best players in the entire system. Like the most valuable player they might have had two years ago was Jed Jerko. Um, now, I think Tyson Ross has, you know, overcame that, overcame him in that recently. But I just think it's a classic example of the Padres. Uh, shedding payroll for little upside long-term. And I just don't understand that move at all. I mean, I guess in some weird way, if John Jay had a career year, maybe you could extend him a qualifying offer, but I just don't see how this helps the Padres in the long-term at all, unless your entire argument is that Jed Jerko is going to be uh, worth less than his payroll three years from now. And you really want that differential $3 million between what he's going to be worth and what he's going to get paid somewhere else. And I just don't think that's a, a reasonable way of looking at it when he had upside. So well, m- my guess is that, I mean, it was purely a salary dump. I don't, I don't think AJ really cared about John Jay. My, my only worry is that, and if you want John Jay on the roster, fine. He's supposed to be a good fielder. Uh, I guess he used to be good at getting on base. Um, but like, if you want to keep him on the bench as a, as a reserve or whatever, it's fine. Um, but I don't think that's what they're going to do. And I feel like because he makes $6 million a year, they're going to force him into left field. And at that point, you're looking at an outfield of, of John Jay, Melvin Upton, or Travis Jankowski, who can, who can barely hit it out of the infield, and then Matt Kemp in right field. And like, it's just a atrocious hitting, hitting outfield. And yeah. Jerko's not that I mean, expensive. He's not that, he's not that expensive. Like, like, no, he's the not. That his contract is too expensive. There's some serious problems here. And the thing is, if you really wanted a left-hand hitting outfielder who can get on base, I mean, Dexter Fowler, Denard Spann, those guys were both free agents this year. They're not going to break the bank. It's like, you know, at some point in time, there are different ways of getting 
those types of players than simply dumping someone that actually has upside for your roster. And, you know, this also goes back to the fact that, you know, when they re signed Jed Jerko, Ron Fowler went on to the freaking uh, interview table with him right after signing the contract and saying he's glad he's going to be part of the team for the next, what did he say, six years at the time. I have the interview in front of me. Um, but, you know, now that's not coming to fruition again. And it's just one thing after another. There was no – you didn't have to trade him. It's not like he wasn't going to play this year. I mean, he's not worse than Corey Spangenberg. He is better than him. I just – I just think this is another one of those trades where the Padres were trying to avoid the worst case scenario instead of trying to build a World Series contender. And that is something that I've seen them do so many times in my lifetime. Um, and it's something that, quite frankly, until they change that, they're never going to go anywhere. There's going to be baseball's perennial loser, which they, which they are. I mean, they, I don't know if you realize this, but at the end of the year, the Padres had the worst winning percentage as a franchise in the history of baseball of current active teams. So not including the defunct teams, but if um, Tampa finally passed them. So we, we now have the worst franchise. And so it's just one thing after another with this team. I will say this though. So they followed that up moving along here. Cause I know we don't have much time. We have to cover the whole off season. Uh, they did follow that up by signing Alexi Ramirez to play shortstop. So we don't have to deal with Alexi Amarista. I know that breaks your heart a little bit. But we at least won't have to deal with Alexi Amarista getting 400 plate appearances this year. Um, yeah, now we can now we can look forward to Alexi Ramirez getting 400 plate appearances and and probably accomplishing exactly the same thing. I will be surprised if he's not an improvement from Alexi Amarista. I really will be, and I know uh, that his he was, numbers he was awfully bad last year. Wasn't part of that influenced by uh, poor peripheral numbers that. Don't necessarily translate year to year. Oh, what about the, yeah, what about the year before? Um, let me try to pull this up here <laughs> in a second. I will say this though: if you had to, if you were, he's not getting any younger. Point, also, I mean, he's he's thirty four. If you if no, I know Scratch that. that. But if you had to pick, a, hey, I take that back. He was actually good in twenty fourteen. Okay. Um. Okay. Well. Look, I, I, I mean, say it's fine. It's fine. Look, we're not going to win next year. It's, it's, it's fine no, just not. to make the fan base happy that Alexi Amarista won't be playing. Besides, I'm off the Amarista wagon. I'm on the, the Blash wagon now. I'd encourage you to jump on the Blash wagon as well. Oh, I'm totally up for that. Like, I, I look, I know they traded Jerko for John Jay, but I really don't see any upside in John Jay. I think there's maybe like, what a two or 3% chance of him hitting, having such a great year that you could extend a qualifying offer and get uh, something back for him. I mean, otherwise you're going to get a small piece from at the trade deadline. I'd much rather play a rule five player who has some offensive upside and just see if he can stick. I mean, the Padres for years were the team that didn't do that. And we watched other teams do it. Um, I know Everett Cabrera is a, a rare example uh, to the contrary, but the Padres, for example, gave up on Jack Cust. He went and had a great year for, Oakland, a great series of years. Um, same thing with Joaquin Soria. So, you know, I'm just glad that Padres are being the team that, well, it's it's to be seen if he actually plays, are in a year where they're clearly not going to compete, despite what Mike D says, they're actually going to be giving a bat to someone who has a, the potential to help them in the long term, even if it's, you know, less than 10%. Yeah. I mean, or you could say 80% chance of success, like those of us on the Blash Wagon believe. 
He is very he, – he, in all seriousness, he is a little different in that Everett Cabrera was coming out of – what was he single A when we took him in the Rule 5 and we moved him directly yeah. up to the majors? Um, I mean, Vlash has, has succeeded at the highest levels. Um, I mean, in double A, in triple A. Um, so it's not like he's not a seasoned minor league player at this point. So, you know, we've had cases, um, you know, where we take someone in, in, in the low levels of the minors in the Rule 5 draft and are forced to keep them on the roster and they suck like Corey DeHaan, but um, he's a little different. So, you know, with few things to get excited about in the next season, um, I'm going to get excited about Jabari Blatch because there's – I need something. I, I need something to get excited about. Yeah, and uh, so the Padres also traded Idris Nimmer uh, to Spagna this week. They got a very low-level prospect from the Orioles, and it's interesting because – I now work with Orioles fans, so they're able to tell me everything about them. And they came immediately, and they were like, hey, uh, what do you think of Despagne? And I was like, he is the worst pitcher. Like, He's so great. He's great. He's going to be a lot of fun to watch because he just has 90 pitches, and he just throws junk. And it's what you think that you would be like if you went out there. You know, like if I went out to pitch, like I'm not going to have a good fastball. I'm not going to have a good curveball. I'm just going to – Mix things up. Every single pitch is going to be a different slot. It's going to be a different piece of junk. And that's what he is. He is that with a little bit of talent. Um, so I was I was okay getting rid of him. Um, I'm sure that means more innings for Robbie Erlin. Uh, and, you know, Brandon Morrow is probably a shorter rotation spot at this point if he ends up being healthy. Um, Here, here's the thing, though. Despite – and I think people think it's a bit that I love Despanier, but I, I really, he, he really was my favorite player last season. Um, in a team that is just devoid of, of emotion and excitement and happiness, like the team was last year. I mean, last year you had Kemp and you had Shields bullying people in the, in the dugout. Um, Despanier was like one smile I could count on. And he totally sucked, especially away from Petco Park. But, um, I don't know. I, I really enjoyed watching him, and he's the classic Padres fan favorite player. You know the whole Denorfia um, and Despania. You know someone who we irrationally love, Eric Owens. You know, so I'm sad to see him go. I, I'm smart enough to say he's not that great of a pitcher, but I will remind people that he came extremely close to the Padres' first no hitter in his rookie season. Uh, I think he made it two outs into the eighth inning, and. Uh, for that, we'll always remember Odrisimer in Padres lore. Amen. Uh, I will leave you with that. I enjoyed him more than Jeff Supon and Ross Ollendorf. Uh, I will say that much. So, uh, I'd argue I enjoyed him more than Andrew Kashner last year. I mean, Andrew Kashner just sat in the dugout, sulked all the time. Uh, you know, I like Tyson Ross. He's a great pitcher, but he doesn't get the fans excited. You know, he's as vanilla as they come. Uh, Shields is glowering at everyone in the dugout and, uh, and bullying them. Like, we need something. We need something to smile about. Everyone makes fun of Alexi Amarista, and he totally sucks at baseball, but at least he has fun out there. And, like, I know that's not something that we can really track well, statistically, and it really has no impact on the team, but for a fan, sometimes it is kind of nice to see a player have fun on the field. Well, I would, I would say that Derek Norris and Matt Kemp seem to have fun on the field. Um, and, I, and I guess I would probably throw uh, Solartan to that mix as well. I don't think they're completely devoid of those types of players right now. Whether or not they're good, it's an entirely different question. But, like, I, I don't think they have completely vanilla players, even if I agree that, you know, Tyson Ross is pretty 
pretty boring. I honestly couldn't tell you a single thing about Tyson Ross other than his ability to pitch. Real quick, before we get into the, I guess, the direction of the team, um, I guess this is kind of tied to it, but as, as we've heard, Mike D says we're competing, right, in, in 2016. They're refusing to call it a rebuild, which, you know, whatever. We all know what it is. We're not blind. Um, I assume it's PR and marketing, which, fine, whatever. Whatever sells more tickets. But um, not trading Tyson Ross scares me to death. And not trading Kashner scares me to death. Um You've got an asset, right? And I know the the general discussion is, hey, look what AJ got for Kimbrel. It was more than what he got offered at the trade deadline. But you're talking about Ross and Kashner, who a year ago, pretty much everyone was certain that they were going to miss time with a, with some kind of major arm injury. And I kind of agree that maybe he could get more for them later, later in the season. But there's a risk premium that needs to be taken into account also of, of an injury. And... I'm just going to say it would be the most Padres thing ever for Tyson Ross to to uh, have some kind of arm problem, need Tommy John surgery, and lose all trade value in, let's say, June. So it scares me to death. And and me, I, I like to play it a little safer. I, I would have cashed that in if I could for what I could get now. Well, I wanted to cash in Ross last offseason before that even came down. I remember when I was writing my uh, plan for the offseason, how the Padres c- could compete. A big part of that was – trading high with Tyson Ross. And, um, you know, as far as Andrew Kastner goes for it, I mean, they got to keep Tyson Ross. I mean, at the point that that? you go for it, at the point that you go for it, you set nine shields and you think you're going to make the playoffs, which, which I think they did. I truly think they did. You you can't trade Tyson Ross, but going into 2016 where we all know they're going to suck and they're rebuilding. uh, There's not a reason to hold on to him. It's, it's too risky. So, so maybe you get a, a slightly lesser caliber of prospect, which I'm not totally convinced is the case. Um, you're also indemnifying yourself from the risk of him getting injured at some point. I, I will say this. So backing up a step, uh, last year my plan was predicated on signing Max Scherzer. So uh, trading Tyson Ross was made up for by uh, signing Max Scherzer. And the, the trade of Ross, I think, was predicated on getting back like Chris Davis at the time or some other big bat that I wanted to buy low on. Um, and maybe I think, I think Edwin Encarnacion was one of the other names. I don't remember the whole article. But now, yeah, clearly they're not going to compete this year. I, I don't think they've gone anywhere in talks. Well, I know they haven't gone anywhere in, in trade extension talks with Andrew Kashner. But I, I do think you're selling low with him, right? I think he had a bad year last year. I don't think it's inconceivable, knowing his stuff, that he could have a couple great – you know, like maybe one great month to start next year and he makes himself very valuable at the trade deadline. Uh, whereas with Tyson Ross, yeah, I think with him, especially given that he does have an injury history, uh, given that I don't think by, by the time he hits free agency, I don't think the Padres will be in a position to truly compete. I, you know, I would trade that piece. I, I definitely would. Um, and I, yeah, I, I think it is a little scary that this team – I, I think that had they not traded Dred Jurgo, had they not made that salary dump and traded, uh, basically sold low on that, I would be a little less concerned. But the fact that they're not selling high on one of their assets, who's injury prone, and they sold low on another one just to save a couple bucks, you know, the combination of that in one offseason is really disappointing to me. Um, I will say about Mike D, uh, you know, we've had a, a bunch of shady team presidents since, you know, going back a long time. 
with Tom Garfinkel, it always seemed like you knew that he knew what he was saying was bullshit, and he was just a lackey for Jeff Morad. And fine, you know, more power to him. He makes he makes a good dollar being team president, whatever. With Mike D, I think he actually just is dumb enough to think they're actually going to compete. Like I, I don't think, like I is think that, he thinks they're actually going to compete. Is that really uh, a better thing? Like, is it really? No, I don't really think at it, a point where it's better to have a team president and leader that is totally incompetent uh, as opposed to someone who's calculating and um, at least confident in, in what they're trying to do. I don't know if I would make it that dichotomous of a um, argument. I don't think Tom Garfinkel necessarily knows how to win in sports, but I do think that that wasn't his goal. I think that might be Mike D's goal and he's really bad at it. And he thinks this team's actually going to compete. I don't know which one of those I want. I don't want either of those. I, I don't think we have to choose between awful and more awful. And like, uh, I, also, I, let's not talk like Mike D has a, has a long history of success. Like, he, no, he, he doesn't at one, all. He had one job in Miami, right? He was the president of the team. He had one job, which was to secure taxpayer funding for a renovation of the stadium. Uh, he totally failed at it. Uh, which is why they didn't fight to keep him in Miami. And, let's, and during his tenure was also the time where Jeff Ireland, the GM, was probably the most unpopular GM in history down there. People literally protested on the streets with bags on their head, uh, all under the D tenure. And then he, gets, uh, he basically fails upwards into the, into the Padres' job. I, I will agree. I don't think he's sinister, per se. I also don't think Tom Garfinkel was sinister, but... Uh, I do think D is fairly incompetent and let's not forget it was Mike D who, who during the Jeff Burns year where he got fired was the one who, who really believed that that team was going to compete for the playoffs. Um, or at least publicly said that was the reason why they fired Burns for the, uh, the false expectations. Yeah. Totally I, aside I, from all I, of the I, off the field failures, which I've detailed plenty of times on the, on the blog. All right, at, least, well, at least we can all agree that Mike D's a uh, incompetent blunderer, right? I think I think that's certainly fair at this point. I, I wouldn't say that he hasn't earned that. So let's briefly just talk about uh, where you see the team going. And I'm actually curious as to what uh, – last year I think you were very – I was fully on board with going uh, the full Lunau route and uh, just, just jettisoning everyone and starting over. Um I'm curious to hear what yeah, after your uh, building blocks for a successful year last year post. What do you do from here? I mean, do you agree? Do we just cash in on 2016 and plan for 2018 at this point? Okay, so last year I didn't think going for it was the right decision. I laid out a plan for how they could, but I didn't think it was smart. Um, their window to go for it was like four years ago when McCourt was barely investing anything in the Dodgers, and there was plenty of ability for that the Padres to spend and they weren't and they had a decent uh, nucleus with you know Adrian Gonzalez but let's not go there let's say let's we'll talk about this year because that was a question um, they're not going to win this year I'm not even sure they're going to be fourth place this year I mean they're clearly very very clearly worse than the Dodgers very clearly worse than the Giants and pretty clearly worse than the Diamondbacks um, I would even say that the Rockies at this point are heading in a better direction I know that some of the, the trades they've made haven't brought back enough prospects. I know that some of those trades have been panned, but I still think they are at least grasping 
that they aren't going to compete and that they're trying to build something long-term there. I would be pretty surprised if the Padres won more than 75 games this year, but I would be also pretty surprised if ownership realized that and acted upon it, which would mean they would try to lose. So I, I would, I'm fully on board with full now. I think you need top, you know, you need to draft a couple top prospects and there is a steep drop off after, you know, pick five to pick 10 and, and onwards. So, you know, I, I, I always hate saying I'm going to root for them to lose, but they're not going to win. So if they're not going to win, you're better off losing. Um, and it's one of those things where I hope what happens is, yeah, they cash out Tyson Ross, they get some prospects for that. They let Jabari Blash play. They let some of the other young players play. I would love to watch games that had Hunter Renfro in right field and Jabari Blash in left field and, you know, center field Jankowski, even if he's not hitting the ball out of the infield, you know, just to at least see the Potters go in a direction where they're trying to see what they have. They're trying to actually build the future and build a World Series winning team as opposed to just building a team to compete. And the best way to get there is to lose. And it's just weird you have to say that in sports, but that's just how it is. You know, you need those top prospects. And let's be clear, the Padres don't have an elite prospect right now. They just do not have one. Um, so anyone well, who's already – You got to give – Margot is ranked like like top 20 in one of the one of the prospect rankings. I mean, he's as close okay, to well, – that's He's as close to yeah, as we've had in, in years for a quote-unquote elite prospect. Well, I would argue Trey Turner was a better prospect than that, but that's that's okay. But at but, the time, at the no, time we traded him, he no. wasn't. But look, a top twenty prospect. There's thirty teams in baseball. Like almost everyone has one of those. So I'm not talking top twenty. I'm talking, you know, like a cornerstone of your franchise that has a very high probability of being a cornerstone. Like uh, I'm not saying Bryce Harper for necessarily, but I'm saying someone. Carlos Correa. Sure. Uh, the, full full Lou now doesn't work without the, the Astros having the ability to draft Carlos Correa. Or the Cubs getting Chris Bryant, for example. Like, I mean, right. there's just a whole bunch of examples across baseball where a team fails so miserably they get a really, you know, great pick. Or the other way, and this is interesting because it ties into this year's salary conversation, you sign the best guy, you know, out of the international prospect signings. I mean, look at the Twins. They paid, I think it was $6 million to Miguel Sanyo like five years ago when he was 16. Look how that's turned out. He's one of the most exciting young players in all of baseball. He's, you know, the next coming of Miguel Cabrera at this point. That's what the Padres need to do. They need to spend so much on those international players that they just can't even miss. You know, look at what A.J. Preller did in Texas. One of the top players right now in all of minor league baseball is a guy by the name of Nomar Mazzara. Um, the Rangers signed him for, I think, six or eight million dollars. It was an incredibly large signing bonus they gave him a few years back, and he's about to uh, make his way to the major leagues already. That you know, that's the type of cornerstone prospect the Potters need to get, and you either do that by signing a ton of guys, international free agent signings for high dollars, which I hope they do. I don't think they will, but I hope they do. Or you need to really, really lose a lot of games and draft the best players, and I hope they do both. I want them to end up with. Carlos Correa and Nomar Mazzara at the end of this year. Not those exact players, but, you know, the, the next coming of those players. So we'll see. I don't think they're going to do that. I think they'll uh, probably hold on to Kashner, probably hold on to Ross, maybe trade one of them at the deadline um, and, you know, mosey on into 70 wins in the eighth pick in the draft. Like, that's probably what's going to happen. Classic Padres. Yes, totally classic Padres. Well, I mean, here, here's how I'll finish this. Uh, 
you know, if they if the if this year's Padres magically turn into the 2010 Padres and they win 90 games, great. I'm not going to be upset about it. It'll be exciting. Uh, unlike some people, I still live here and go to games, so it is nice to go on a Tuesday night when, it's cold, when it's cold and it's empty. Uh, to have a team that's a little exciting, and I'll take issue with Mike D's strategy on this, thinking that only veteran you know players are exciting. Um, I've had plenty of good times at. Padres games watching and being excited for prospects and they don't always work out but sometimes one of them's you know Matt Latos and he gives you a really exciting year um so I, I'm with you like if we if this year turns into Jabari Blash playing um if it turns into uh you know Hunter Renfro playing uh if somehow Jose Rondon does well and gets called up to play shortstop that's great um I'm good with that as a fan um, but I don't think team leadership is good with that. Um, and, and that scares me that people like John Jay, who I'm not going to attack the guy. Like, I hope he does well, but he's not that great of a player, even at his, at his peak. And if he's eating up a roster spot and a starting lineup spot, taking away from someone who could help this team beyond this year, then, then I have major issues with it. Um, obviously none of us really know what Andy Green does or stands for. He's very charming on the radio, but, he doesn't appear to me to be a very imaginative guy. Uh, maybe he'll surprise us. Um, maybe he has direction from leadership to play the veterans and, and quote-unquote compete. I don't know. I just, I just want to emphasize that, like, like I really hope the Blash, Rondon, and Renfro thing happens to give those guys playing time. But that's not nearly enough, right? Like, that needs to be a really small part of the puzzle where they're also trying to get those top draft picks, where they're spending $20 million in international signings this year, bringing home, you know, at least three of those top 10 guys. Like that's what the Padres need to be doing. That, that is their route to success long-term. Right. Because that's the hope. I mean, internet, the international, and you've said it and you've written about it. This year is critical for the international program for the Padres. Uh, given where the collective bargaining agreement is given um, the, the, the bonus pool room for the Padres, the, the possibilities of breaking the rules basically and signing as many people as possible for as much money as possible. This is the year. Um, I saw Dennis Lynn in the UT had already hinted maybe mid teens spending, which would be good, I think. But uh, why not more? You know, this is like a one time chance at it. Yeah, no, either you're trying to win the World Series or you're not. There's, there's no like mitigating that. And if, like, look, they just spent a couple million dollars on Fernando Rodney. They spent a little bit of money on Alexi Ramirez. Like, I think everyone who's realistic about how the Potters are going to get to winning a World Series would tell you that they would have been better off and we would have all been happier if the Padres had not signed those players and they had taken that $6 million or that $8 million or whatever and just put that into some like, two 16, 17-year-old Dominican prospects who might help you a lot long-term. Um that's the only way they're going to get there. There's no other way for them to get there. I mean, you have to – I mean, you. it would take a monumental long-term collapse of the Dodgers, which I don't think is going to happen, uh, and the Giants, and for the Rockies and Diamondbacks' plans to fail, for the Padres to even have a chance of making the playoffs, like in 2017 even, or 2018. So they have to get a, they have to get a cornerstone to the franchise, and the only way for them to do that – is by spending a lot of money on the international market or by really, really, really losing. Yeah. I mean, you know, Mike Trout, you know, Mike Trout, there's some other, the 19- I mean, they could liquidate Tyson Ross and they could somehow get a really close to the majors top prospect. That's an impact. That turns into an impact player. 
that's another route they can take because in a rosy scenario, you assume Manny Margot is a productive player, right? A productive, good player. Uh, Hunter Renfro maybe learns how to not strike out all the time and is a productive player. And then you drop in another impact prospect who comes into his own in a Padres uniform. The Padres aren't in a terrible position at that point combined with you know, some, some good drafting, some Cuban acquisitions, some Asian acquisitions, some Dominican, you know, long-term acquisitions. I think that's the way you go if you can do it. It just kills me that they're, that they're selling themselves short by gambling, uh, holding on to Ross and Kashner and any other asset they have that they can get anything for. Norris, whatever. Yeah, well, dumping the ones they don't need to dump, like Jed Jerko, just to throw that in there, too. Yeah, but again, if, if they were dumping Jerko to clear up more room in, in this year's cash flow for international players, that'd be one thing. But they didn't even do that. They, they, they actually took on obligations this year, taking on John Jay, taking away from this year's cash flow that could be used for international players. Yeah. Yeah, no, that trade made no sense. And anyone who's telling anyone telling you that trade makes sense uh, is someone you probably shouldn't take advice from very frequently. Oh, laying down the hammer on Mickey Coke right there. No comment. <laughs> well, I guess we can wrap this up. Maybe we should do these more often than every six months. Definitely. Uh, so I just purchased a home, by the way. So I'm going to have an actually dedicated office where I can set up my computer and we can do this regularly. Excellent. I will note that uh, Ghost and Ray Kroc did, uh, did a fine job filling in for you a couple months ago. Yeah, hey, I'm I'm all on the train of if you want to have a podcast, someone else just grab, you know the more the merrier. I'm I'm I listen to them all. I love to listen to Padres podcasts. It is Provided the golden age. Not- it is the golden age of Padres podcasts. I'm actually going to write something on the golden age of Padres podcast pretty soon. I, real quick before we close, I don't think you're a big fan of Craig Elson. You, I saw you you retweeted hilariously his Audrey Summer Despondia comments from last year. But are you enjoying the Elston Gennaro uh, podcast? Padres, I'll say this. I, I, I am personal friends with uh, Gennaro from my time at Bolts from the Blue. I think he's a good guy. Uh, I actually do like his points of view. I think Elston is just so – it's it's frustrating because I think he has the mental makeup of someone who understands the analytics. He gets it all. But then he brings, like, the Ted Leitner optimism into it. And, it like, that mix just drives me nuts because I think if you truly followed the analytics and everything, you would really dislike the way the Padres run their uh, – franchise i also think you know most of that animosity comes back towards uh the way he really shilled for jeff morad over the years um and how when the change of pottery's documentary came out uh he was not very supportive and he even made like some sort of comment about how i didn't include him in any of the videos well i tried to i i actually went through all of his old interviews with morad with garfinkel with uh the general managers at the time any anyone from the team that came onto his radio station uh, that was available to listen to online, like I did for Darren Smith and Kaplan and everyone. And he just never asked a single tough question. And so, um, you know, I, it's, I don't know. I think he's I, in a different, I, my opinion is I think he's in a different place now because I, I don't see the optimism on his podcast. I think he's, he, he, maybe, I, I think he's as close to a realist as we've got to discussing this between the two of them. Um, 
I think no, there I think, are some other podcasts no, think, that, that aren't maybe producing as many right now. Uh, like Sackbunk Chris, I think, kind of probably aligns with us on a lot of these points. But those that are actually producing content right now, I, I, I look forward to their podcasts every week. I, I'm not going to lie. I'll say this. I think Randy Jones, I know he doesn't do a podcast, but he's generally pretty brutally honest about the Padres on the radio after games, especially if you tune in after the Padres lose and you try to listen to what he says. Um, I think that's the closest you get to an authentic like person talking about the Padres right now. Um, in terms of podcasts, I, I don't know. I, I think I think sometimes we get carried. Even I got carried away last year. But um, I'm just – I don't know what to tell you. I just don't – it's hard for me to take someone seriously who, who specifically told people who were doubting the Jeff Mora plan, who explicitly said that we weren't paying attention if we didn't like Jeff Mora you know, that to, that to me is such a huge – that is such a huge shortcoming in someone that I, I don't really want to listen to what they have to say, even though I, I still do listen to it. It's not, I'm not saying I don't listen to it. I listen to all Padres podcasts. There's not enough Padres content. Like, like the, you know, Scott and BR, they don't talk about the Padres. Darren Smith does, but not, not nearly as much as they talk about the Chargers. There's just a general no, – No, the, the, the podcasts are doing great at filling in that gap, I think. No, that's exactly what I'm saying. So even even though it's produced by, you know, you know, half the parties on that podcast I really like and the other half I don't care for, I still listen to it. Well, that's what you get with the golden age of Padres podcast right now. Yeah. And, and don't, don't, get, don't get me wrong. I'm all for uh, extra opinions. Like even Mickey Koch or Craig Elston, like I'm okay with it as long as it's coming from um, – you know, as long as the person's goal they have in mind is to see the Padres win the World Series, and that's how they're forming their opinions, I don't mind if it's contradictory to mine. I just think that that's ne- not necessarily what you're getting out of Craig Elston. Well, I guess we agree to disagree, Marver. That's fair. Look, hey, let's, I, not start, let's not start any podcast wars here. Oh, no, no. Don't get me wrong. Like, I, I think people should listen to their podcast. Absolutely. But I'm, I mean, I listen to the it, podcast, so it would be – pretty contradictory or pretty hypocritical of me to say otherwise. I just don't – I mean, I think if you go look at the history of his opinions on the team and how those have come to fruition, I think that speaks for itself. I don't really have to say much more than that. All right, just don't start a war with the Pods Pod guys. No, of course not. I, I feel like they would probably, like, light dog shit on fire on my doorstep, and I don't want that. <laughs> I got a new house. I got a new house. I can't have that happen. Yeah, I can see little Mo literally flying across the country and doing that in Delaware to your house. So yeah, fly out to Philly, you know, that's a couple hundred bucks, rent a car, drive 30 miles down to Wilmington and uh, come to my doorstep and light some dog shit on fire. I would, I would probably high five him if he did that, to be honest. Yeah, but, I would too. Yeah. Especially given the snow right now, it would, it would probably melt away some snow. Well, let's do this again, Marver. Uh, maybe, uh, yeah, I don't know about you. I'm going down to Mexico city for the Padres uh, spring training game. Um, I don't. I'm assuming you're not going out to Phoenix or to uh, Mexico City. I actually have a an East Coast baseball trip planned with my younger brother. He's going to fly out here. We're going to go to a bunch of stadiums. Um, I'm not sure I'll make it to Mexico City or Phoenix this year, but we we should we should do something. I don't know if you're going to go back to DC for any Nationals Padres games at some point in time, but I'll miss it by a week. But I'll be out there in August. Well, we'll make it work. We'll do something. Yeah. Well, let's do a spring training podcast. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm. We, we're going to do more podcasts. Right. Things sounds good. Yeah, I, I've been at this job yeah. now six months. Things are good. I don't have to focus on that entirely. So, 
All right. Well, let's uh, let's look forward to spring training opening in uh, about a week. Yeah, or maybe we'll have an emergency podcast because they've traded Cashner. Who knows? We can only hope. All right. Until next time, guys, uh, go Padres. Go Padres.